How can there not be a song after the reading? I'm totally thrown off. <laughs> Good evening. It's been a great day. I hope that you had your nap. I know some of you had it this morning, but uh, tonight uh, you should, we, we should make this to where it's, it's not going to be a time for you to do that. Hope, and um, remember, if you're in the singles or doubles group, uh, we're going to be heading to, to Daniel Haddock's house. He's still in that orange shirt. Raise your hand if you would. So just follow his vehicle, get to his house, and the address is in the bulletin, and it's not far from here. Uh, so just remember that for those of uh, going to that. We are in Exodus chapter 12 tonight, and a very what, what I think is a, is kind of an odd uh, circumstance. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna list for you uh, some Jewish holidays and um, see if you can kind of guess them. Um, Sabbath is easy enough. Does anybody know what the Sabbath represents? Why were they to take the seventh day off? Rest to celebrate what? Creation. And then later on it was their uh, uh, freedom from slavery in Egypt. So it represented something that had already happened. You, you usually do that with holidays, right? Uh, um, then think about uh, the Feast of Booths, or they're called Tabernacles. Anybody know what that was? How they celebrated this? They had to take a week to live outside their house in a tent that they built somewhere out in... Uh, either in the country or somewhere out in the city, whatever, they had to live out of booths for a week. Why did they do this? Yeah, that, it celebrated the wandering years. That's how they lived for years and years, and let's just remember that, okay? That had already happened already. Now, here's one, uh, Esther, you can't answer this. Uh, what is Purim? What about Esther? I, I kind of gave that away. I was saying, I'm looking at Esther here saying, you can't answer that. You know when all that stuff happened and uh, they didn't, you know, Haman and on the threat and all that stuff, they have a holiday now called Purim or Purim, something like that. Anyway, they, they have this thing to celebrate something already happened. There's a, there's a couple of holidays that are really weird, though, and that's, we're looking at them in Exodus chapter 12. Great reading of, of what God had said. This is what you're going to do. But here's the interesting thing. If you look at verse 14 of chapter 12, this is before any of those events actually happen. Here is a holiday that is established before the events they remember even happened. It's like them having Terry Smith's birthday back in 1938. You know why that can't happen, right? He wasn't here in 1938. You got that, right? You can't, you can't have Mother's Day before Cain's born, right? Uh, okay, so what is July 4th a celebration of, us Americans? What, are, what is that a celebration of? Declaration of Independence. It happened in what year? 1776. Anybody know when the holiday was established? 1870. Almost a hundred years later, after they debated it a while, they decided we need a holiday for this. You can't have President's Day before you have presidents. Holidays are usually established because something significant happened on this day and we need to remember it. But there's a couple times in history, and only God can do this, when the holiday was set up before the events happened. That's pretty insightful. This chapter is a little bit confusing sometimes. You can't tell what happened before, what happened. And, and for the, the Hebrew writer, it doesn't care about chronology like we do. 
But I want to notice in chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, in the land of Egypt, they're still in the land of Egypt, and what he says is, this is going to be a new month for you. The calendar starts now. We're going to redo your calendar. Set, you know, synchronize your watches. Think, synchronize your, your calendars because this is a whole new year. There's a whole new beginning right here. God's about to make everything new. The slate's all clean. Your life starts now for what I'm about to do. And then verse 2 in my version is very interesting. Or verse 3, tell all the congregation of Israel... That word's never been used of God's people before. Congrega they're now a congregation. You know it when God's got control of you and you're doing things what he tells you to do and you've become an independent group of people who are following God. It's called a congregation. And now they are the congregation. And here's what he says. On the 10th day of the month, here's what you're going to do. It's going to happen right now. It's going to happen here pretty soon. And then he says in verse 14, this day will be for you Memorial Day. I'm setting up a new holiday. To celebrate what? Well, nothing yet, but it's about to happen. Only God can do this kind of thing. It's going to be a memorial day. On the 10th day of the month, you select a lamb or a goat for each household. You esti estimate the number of people who can eat that lamb, and you gather together. This is a communal feast that is not meant to be eaten alone. There's no homes with just one person. If there's just one or two people, you've got to get together with other people because this is a communal meal to eat this lamb or this goat that you choose. You take care of this lamb, this one-year-old, perfect, unblemished male lamb or goat. You take care of this thing for four days. And on the 14th day of the month, you slaughter that lamb. You roast it. You take the blood from that lamb and you dip this thing called a hyssop that's a leaf of a plant and you put that on your doors and all around it. You roast that lamb and you eat it. You eat unleavened bread and bitter herbs which are not explained here. No reason given for that yet. You burn completely the leftovers. There's no doggy bags in this occasion. This thing is all for one purpose and one purpose only. And then you eat it while you're ready to run. I want you to eat it not relaxed and dining in your houses like you normally do. I want your belt tight, real tight. And I want that, that loose garment on the outside to tie real tight around your waist because you're going to be ready to run. We're going to be, this is going to be fast food tonight, he says. It's the Lord's Passover. God's going to pass over and pass through Egypt. It says in verse 23, he's going to use a destroyer. That's what my version says. I'm not sure what yours says. <clears throat> the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel on the two-door post, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. There's a duo going on here. God's going over, and he's given authority to a destroyer to do all this killing. And he's going to kill firstborn in Egypt, human and animal. He says, I'm going to execute judgment on the land of Egypt. This is a demonstration that they're, they're, they are not under the control of their gods. They're under the control of Yahweh himself. When all these children of Egypt die, so do their gods in a very real sense. Their beliefs can't be sustained when Yahweh supersedes all the other gods by taking control of the lives of their children. But when God sees the blood on these Israelite homes, he's going to pass over them. Now something did die, because something has to die, even in Israel. But their kids don't die, it's a lamb that dies, and when he sees that blood, he decides, I'm not going to take any life of a human being in that home. So long as they obeyed God and put that blood on the door, 
they were fine. It's going to be an annual holiday, God then says. He calls all the elders, verse 21, and says to them, now go and do this. Before this, he says, this is what's going to happen. Here's the holiday I want you to set up, and here's the rules of the holiday. Now, verse 21, I want you to go out there and select it. And now they're going to do it. Seven days of unleavened bread. So you see, the Passover is the day one of the unleavened bread feast that happens for seven days. And for a Jew to have any leaven in their home was something that would cut them off from Israel forever. Moses calls the elders and says, do it. But now look at verse 25. When you come to the land that the Lord your God will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? And you're going to say, it's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and they worshipped. They bowed and they worshiped and they obeyed exactly what God had said. When you know what God does for you and what he can do and will do for you, you will bow, you will worship, and you will obey. And shortly after this, beginning verse 29, the actual event happens. But the holiday was set up first. Holiday, then history the reverse of anything you've ever seen before. It's so strange. I find it odd, and yet I find it completely in tune with what God would do. I want you to know I'm about to tell you what's about to happen because I'm going to make it happen. We're going to make it a holiday first. Holiday and then history. There was one other time this happened. You're very aware of when this happened. And today we participated in it as well. It takes place in the book of Matthew, and just so happens, it's the context of the Passover. And it's almost as if God is saying, let me just build on the Passover. We're not going to just make a whole new worship thing for the Christian faith. I'm going to build it on something that's already there. So Matthew chapter 26, beginning verse 17, notice, on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, on the Passover, as they're doing all this stuff, there's no leaven, and they're eating the lamb. And, and how, did, how did Jesus do this? He said, disciples, you go find a room. I've already got it prepared, but I want you to go, and I want you to get the stuff ready, and we're going to meet in one room. The group that's going to eat this lamb happens to be comprised of the 12 disciples and Jesus himself. They didn't work. They assembled, just like you're supposed to, on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread and on the seventh day. And that's the occasion when Jesus is meeting with them in that upper room that he arranged miraculously. And they're gathered together in that room. And while they ate, Jesus then took the bread, the unleavened bread. There would be no leaven in a Jewish home at this time, or they'd be cut off from Israel, and that's cut off from everything they know. And so Jesus picks up this bread. Verse 20. Or 20, 26. He takes this bread, this unleavened bread that we're not even really told why it was unleavened, except for the fact that they had to rush so quickly so they didn't have time to put leaven in it and they had to get out of there fast. That's the only reason in the New Testament we're going to talk about next time there is significance to the fact that the leaven is gone. But for now, we just know he takes this unleavened bread and he breaks it and he gives it to the disciples and says, Take eat. He's very clear about what this represents. When you break that, I'm a stickler for the breaking thing. I know we have the other pieces there, 
but I'm one who thinks you're supposed to take it and you're supposed to break it. Anybody go with that with me? I mean, I don't care whether you do it or not. I'm not making no big deal out of it. I just, I just think I'm going to have a better mansion than you will if you don't believe that. I'm, you take that bread and you break it. And you say this is the body of Jesus that would be broken to provide our atonement. And we're to digest that. And Jesus says in a text that's not the Lord's Supper in John chapter 6, and he says to these people a very offensive thing. He says, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, which means you're going to have to consume me. You have to take all of me, and you have, to, you have to take me in, and I've got to become part of you, and you've got to live out of me. That's what you have to do, and I think the Lord's Supper is that. He is everything that we need. He is the bread of our lives. Takes that unleavened bread, and he breaks it. But his body hasn't been broken yet. The Lord's Supper is set up before any of the events that it's designed to remember have actually happened. And how confusing must that be to the disciples who still don't have it quite yet. They're a little bit confused. They've been told over and over again by Jesus what's about to happen. He's told them the gospel so many times. But they just don't get it. And, and I can understand. We can sit there and judge them all we want to from our vantage point. Hey, we got hindsight. Foresight's a lot harder. And these disciples don't understand what he's doing. But here he is. He's saying, I'm going to refigure the Passover meal. It's not going to be the Passover anymore. This unleavened bread that you just think represents haste now represents my body that's going to be broken for you. And they're going, what are you talking about? Because just like with the Passover, it's a holiday set up before the event it remembers even happened. And then he takes a cup, which we have no record of a cup in the Passover at all. We have, I'm sure they drank something, but it did, God didn't put any meaning in it. Took that cup, and when he'd given thanks, he said, drink it. This is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And again, the disciples are like, what? It's okay. It shouldn't be totally foreign to them because as Jews, they know the Passover story. Two times in history, when a holiday or a worship element or something, whatever you want to call it, is established before the events it's designed to remember even happen. It's an amazing thing. What does this mean for us as believers? What we know about the Passover was this. God was telling his people what was about to happen before it happened. He equipped them to be able to understand what was happening as it happened and realize God is the one doing that. And he establishes this holiday before the events happened. God is in charge of history. When he says something, it happens even if it sounds strange to you right now. And Jesus does the same thing with the bread and with the blood, with the fruit of the vine. He says the same thing. And he says it over and over again in the context of the passion. No one's taken my life from me, he says. No one's coming in here and murdering me by surprise. I'm giving my life up. And that's a huge factor to Jesus, and it's a huge factor to us. He did not, he did not have his life stolen. He gave it up by his own will. I remember one time in the Lord's Supper, I, I don't, the hardest, 
hardest uh, worship element, if, I don't know what to call it, or worship event, or, or whatever you call it. Anyway, the hardest part of worship is the Lord's Supper. Any man who's ever asked to serve at the Lord's Supper knows because of the way we sit, this is the hardest one to carry out. I'll never do it. No one ever asked me to. And I trust that won't change, Mark Morrow. Where are you? I hope it doesn't change. But I'm saying this is the hardest thing to carry out because where people sit, you've got to figure out, and you're afraid to death you're going to be passing somebody over. It's just a scary thing, right? But I remember as a kid doing it because we did everything. And, and I would say a prayer. And I said a prayer before the fruit of the vine one time where I said, God, thank you, or, uh, thank you for your son spilling his blood for us. And this one old man came up to me afterwards and gave me a chewing of a lifetime. Spilling is an accident. This was no accident. Well, I thought, you know, that's not really true because I can take this cup and I can just go, oops, and that's on purpose. Anybody ever done that? But he's right. He's right. When Jesus says, he says, I pour out for you. He pours out his blood for us. The language is important. Jesus voluntarily, and the fact that he established this before the events happened, tells you that God is the one who orchestrated it all. We must never forget that. Uh, these events also, I think it tells us, these events are very central. When the Lord sees to it to make the events regularly observed and remembered in the worship service of his people, they are significant. You might have an event and everybody debates whether it was really all that significant or not. I mean, you had the 1776 date, July 4, 1776, and it's almost 100 years before they decide to make it an actual holiday. We're debating, is it important enough? Is that important enough? Well, God says, let me tell you, I'm going to answer this for you. Yes. I'm making it a holiday right now before the events happen so that you'll know this is a big deal. This is why, church, when he says to us, I want you to put this in the worship service, and as often as you do this, you remember the Lord, then we need to do it every single Sunday. Every single Sunday. Let's, God just settled it for us because we're going like this. We're saying, I wonder if this is important. I wonder if this is really significant. Let's all have a debate and opinion about this. How about let's not? Let's look at what the apostles did. They did it every single week, and the Lord saw fit to even before he died, even before the events were actually done and transpired, he set up a memorial. This is important. That's what he's saying. It's a big deal. Another thought. God himself, especially in the Lord's Supper, Jesus himself rehearses how this is supposed to be done he did not leave it up to the apostles to figure it out by mere words. He says, before I die, let me go through this with you. I don't want you messing this up. If you're going to do it right, you must what? Do it yourself. And so Jesus says, before any of this happens, let me tell you, let's get together and I'm going to show you how this is done. I'm not going to leave it up to your imagination or just words and try to, I am telling you, this is how you do it. One of the most wonderful things we have is this. We have a record of how they did the Lord's Supper. That's no accident. You can be confident that the elements that are here and the meaning behind this has been done ever since long, 
just a little before the events actually happened. And Jesus is the one who went through it with them. A trial run. We have a lot of people who've graduated recently, and what the kids never, never, never understood, why do we have to practice for graduation? We have to go through the line. We have to practice walking. We have to have two or three pretty popular people giving us directions on how to go. And we've got to set this all up just right. Why do we go through all this? Because they want to get it right. This is important. What do you think God's saying? I'm not going to leave it up to you. I'm going to go through this with you, and I'm going to practice this with you, and I'm going to give you a trial run right here. Before the events even happen, I want you to know how this looks. Guys, this is important. Young people, when you move on from here and go somewhere else, and people debate, I don't know if it's all that important. I don't know if we need to do this or not. Listen to me clearly. This is important. It needs to be central. Jesus didn't trust us completely. He rehearsed it with us to let us know that just like he was with them before those events happened, he's with us every time we do this. One last thing. Holidays, by definition, are about identification. The Passover, in the middle of a Passover, and we've, we've debated whether to have one here. I think it's a good idea, and I think in the near future we're going to try this. But in the middle of a Passover, a Jewish boy would get up, and he would say, why is this different than other days? What is so significant about what you're doing here? Right in the middle of it, you've got a kid going, hey, what's all this about? But it's by design because God knows this is, as much as this is worship, this is also training, educating, and instructing. And you're supposed to answer, and there's proper answers to give to that Jewish boy when he gets up and he stands up and he says, what's this all about and why is this so unusual for us? This is identification. The Jew, when he answered the question, did not say, your great-great-great-great-grandfather. No, we were in slavery in Egypt. God did great miracles for us. Notice the pronouns, the us. We are there as we go through this memorial. And the same thing for us as Christians. I know none of us saw it. We saw thee not when lifted high amid that wild and savage crew. But we believe that he did. And we were there. We are given a front row seat by this particular part of our worship service. It was for us. It's not for everybody. It's not generic humanity. This he did for you. And as you take it and you break it, you broke his body. On the cross, you were the ones who extracted his blood because it was your sin, and you were there, and it's for you. This is identification. Not just some random thing for some generic people. Same thing, I guess, for Memorial Day and Veterans Day. We're trying to teach our kids, and we need to remember... It was us. When the Lord's Supper is celebrated, we're placed back at the scene, and we realize it's about us. It's about Jesus, but it's for us. I may be way over-reading this holiday stuff. You might think, are you really going to read more into Exodus 12 than really there? There's no overstating the significance of these events, the event of the Passover and the event of the Lord's Supper and what it remembers and celebrates. 
It's a reenactment of it. It's a dramatic reenactment of it. It's a regular observance of it. It was important to God for them to remember these crucial moments. And by the way, they didn't fare so well, did they? God found out that once a year is just simply not enough. And so in the New Covenant, what's he do? Once at the beginning of every single week of your life. And you say, that's too much. No. It's not too much. We are a stubborn, busy, rebellious, forgetful, neglectful people. And he chose once a week, the very beginning, reorient your life and set it right at the very beginning. He wanted us to know it was for us. And so every year the Jew went through that Passover and asked those questions and heard the answers. And every Sunday the Christian observes the Lord's Supper, takes his place, we taste it, we touch it, we smell it, we see it. We hear again why it's important. And we will do this until the Lord comes to take us home. And we'll continue to do it then. And may it ever be, we never forget what he did for us. So much so... Jesus came for that very reason. And it was no accident, and it was no change. It was no dramatic change in anything. He knew what was ahead. He was born to die. He came just to give up his life. And so he says to them, here in a couple days I'm about to do this, but let's right now set up this memorial before it even happens, so that when it happens and shortly after, you'll know why, for whom, and why this is important, and you'll never forget it after that. It's an amazing thing. We serve a God who's gracious and kind and loving and so sacrificial. May we leave today and be the same way toward one another and our fellow man. If there's any reason anyone has a need spiritually to repent of their sin to name the name of Jesus with your lips in front of this group of people and to be immersed or to have your, your, your sins forgiven because you come and you ask God for forgiveness. We stand ready as a group of people to receive you knowing full well, even before we ask, what he'll do. That really does motivate a response when we already know what he'll do. And we do as we stand and sing to encourage you.